Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. What is the shaman school? No. You're not going to be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The shaman school offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no-nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience, from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society, how to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the Shaman School is a school that we all should have been a part of, one that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I've extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamandurek.com and click on the Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I am happy. I love you. You should be happy too and love yourself. But seriously, what the heck is going on with our planet? I mean, first of all, okay, let's just look at the reality of things, right? You've got all these people 
who think everything is okay just because they got vaccinated and they went out into the world and now they can go back to the movies and do all of these things. But what they don't understand is that it's not just about living your life. You have to realize that there is a system called the matrix that has more things in store for us. And that requires us to really amp up our spiritual well-being, our mental well-being, our emotional intelligence and our physical capability to be straight up lit leader of legacy. Now, the thing is, is that people are getting so comfortable. They're like, yeah, man, it's so good now. Everything is great. I just keep doing my thing. You know, everything's going to be fine. Things getting back to normal. I'm feeling good. Reality check. Ding, ding, ding. The reality check is that things aren't going back to normal. In fact, they're actually spinning back around. And that means what? Variants. Yeah, there are variants. And just because you have a vaccination doesn't mean you can't get it. So what does that mean? That means that people really have to understand that the whole COVID situation hello, was about bringing you to a deeper relationship with yourself, your values, your ideas that are serving you with the people around you who are in agreement to those ideas ideas and everything else that's nonsense and waste of time and people putting you down and, and abuse and, and anything else that is like basically draining some form of your energy has to go take the trash out mama and so the key element here is if we are going to continue to thrive as a species on this planet we have to realize that it's not just about what's happening on the outside it's also what's happening on the inside i think you could have said it any better right so the more we start to pay attention to that, everything is a reflection from the outside, inside, inside, outside, right? It's like this beautiful, amazing mirror. And not like the mirrors when you go to like a circus and you have to go through all these mazes, but it could seem that way if you're a person who constantly runs from yourself and doesn't take responsibility for recognizing how badass you are. And you're too busy telling yourself a bunch of lies such as I'm not good enough and uh, my life is hard and my life sucks and it's not and all these other things that people love to spout from their mouths like a water fountain. Literally, it's more like a machine gun. <laughs> Every day, listening to people constantly complaining and creating the complaining is draining whole theory instead of just realizing like, yo, okay, so you think your life is bad, you think your life is horrible and all these kind of things. And like, what perspective are you actually looking at? Like, are you looking at the perspective, the fact that you have legs or the fact that you can breathe or the fact that you can see uh, where some other people can or the fact that you can eat food when other people can't and the fact that you have clothes on your back when there's people who are freezing right now because they have no clothes i mean like at what part is your life bad oh i know i know wait did you just say that i know did you say that okay 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 no 
it's the ones who aren't happy with their Instagram numbers and um, they're not happy with the fact that they're not getting a lot of people to like and love them, which is not real. Anyway, hearts and likes are great. If that makes you get like a dopamine release and you're like, woo, I feel groovy. But the thing is, they're not real. Meaning like, Sure, someone can like your picture and heart you, but that doesn't mean they love you. That just means they heart your picture. They like your photo. That doesn't mean they like you or love you or know you or have a relationship with you. Oh, my goodness. You have to imagine for a second the planet we live on. Like, think about it. We live on a planet where celebrities are the new zoo animals. Literally, cars will go and look at their houses and like take pictures of their lawn and stuff. And they're not even in the home. They might be somewhere in like Monte Carlo or they might be somewhere in Turks and Caicos or somewhere in Ibiza, probably in Ibiza. I know Paris Hilton's probably in Ibiza. But the point is, If you are a person who looks at this world from like outer space and you go, what is going on with these human beings? And then you look and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Look at this. And really, if you think about it, like how can we take life seriously if everything around us is so completely upside down? The greatest thing you can do for yourself is really get to know who you are. And when I say get to know who you are, I don't mean like get to know your surface self that you've projected into the world to like let people like you and love you so you can get all of that accolades. No, I'm not talking about that person. No, I'm talking about the you, you, the you of the you, you's like the you, you, you of the you, you, you's, which is going to take you a great time to meet all the you, you, you's of the you, you, you's, you's, you, you, you's, you's, which is like really a beautiful exploration of going inside and meeting all the different parts of yourself, not the parts that you're locking up in a cage because you're afraid of what people may think if you were to let them out. You need to just take that key and let them out. Seriously, no one likes to be in a cage. Don't put baby in the corner. I don't know what it is with people. Why do they care so much about what people think about them instead of letting themselves just be free? Like if you feel the need to go skip down the street and you need to sing a song like da di la di da di la di da di da da. I don't know where I got that song, but I thought it was pretty cool to add it in there. The point is, if you're that type of person and that's what you have to do, then do it. Skip down the street, run around a tree, hug a tree, you know, whatever you want to do. This planet is for fun. It's supposed to be fun to explore and to touch and to squeeze and to kiss and to lick and to smell. I do like smelling the fresh grass when it's cut. But what I really love smelling is tar. And I love when they're putting street tar in the street. It's something that just makes me go. I really honestly will tell you that when we think about how we're exploring ourselves and this adventure of exploring ourselves, we have to go to the places in ourselves that are completely um, not accepted uh, by us because of other people, because those are the ones that really need to come out and show you who they are. Right. Like 
I know that there's many me's of me's of me's of me's of me's of me's. But what I do love is the ones that I am afraid to let out. And then I finally let them out. And then all these doorways of opportunity open because that they were the ones who had the key to those doors. Can you imagine you're going through this universal field of, of, of intelligence? You're on this planet. There's all these, these spiritual doors that open you up to opportunities, to money, to love, to this, to that. And just because you've been trying to get through a door and you can't get through it, it's probably because the part of you that has the key is inside waiting for you to pay attention. So that means what? That means that all those doors that are closed that you can't get through, like you want to get through, it's kind of like winning the lottery. You know, you're like, why can't I find the key? It's like this key. Where is this key? You don't have the key because it's not the door that that personality needs to walk through. In fact, it's actually the personality inside that you haven't yet discovered that has the key, who's been waiting on you to let down your guard and stop caring what people think and let your wild one free. And that key opens the door and everything opens up. You know, a friend of mine, Gwyneth Paltrow, said to me once, a dinner table. She just, it was really interesting. I was just eating. I was eating. Um, what was we eating that night for dinner? I think she had made some kind of, um, blah, 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 what was it? Some kind of, I, I can't even remember some kind of amazing dish. She's an amazing cook. Anyway. So she says out of nowhere, which I found very fascinating. And I always find things that she does fascinating. She said, in order for people to be successful, they need to be provocateurs. And I said, provocateurs, what exactly are you, what do you mean by that? And she said, people who are not afraid to be laughed at, called names, made fun of, you know, people who are not afraid to embarrass themselves and all of that. Those are the people who become famous and recognized and uh, written in history books. And I started to think about it for a second. And I was like, wait a second, you know, it's true. Einstein had a great idea. Thomas Edison had an amazing idea. Everyone laughed at him. Everyone tried to put Einstein in the paddy wagon. And, um, and Benjamin Franklin said he could create light and a glowing orb um, and took a, put a kite in a key. And people were like, what are you doing with this kite in a key? But then he looked at look what we got from that, you know? And it's, it's amazing. And then you think about all the other people, like, you know, the Wright brothers, you think about Helen Keller, you think about Oprah. Winfrey, you think about, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, you got Lady Gaga, she's like wearing meat skins, you know, I mean, anyone who's doing something that is so completely uncomfortable to society, it's like, we congratulate you. And why? That makes you wonder why. Because when she said that, I was thinking to myself, why is that? Because it's kind of true, you know, like people who go against the grain are the ones who actually, you know, rise in, in success and all of these different things because they're doing things that um, are outside of the comfort zone of other people. And I said to myself, mm, that's very interesting because what does that mean? That means that are we people on the planet that we are so 
addicted or so transfixed in boringness that anyone who makes us shake, quiver, or where we scream at a horror film, or we laugh at a comedy show, or we we, we go hurrah when we see the, the, the football being kicked across um, the field, anything that moves us in some kind of stimulation deserves a reward. I mean, if that was the case, I mean, literally, I don't even know what the whole thing was about school, about being popular. Popularity for what? Because you look a certain way or you dress a certain way? I honestly see that today, true popularity and success comes from you living your authentic truth and going out there and being the wild flower that you are and letting your beautiful essence be set free in the most sexy, vibrant way. Oh, yeah. Get your sexy, vibrant way. Check a bang, bang. Chicka, chicka, bang, bang, juke, juke, bone. Get your own sexy way. How? Chicka, bang, bang, whang. Chicka, bang, bang, bang. I don't know. I thought I'd throw that in there. For some reason, it just came out of me, like all just, you know, just poured right out of me. What can I say? What can I say? What can I say? The thing is, is that we have the capability to be exactly what Gwyneth was talking about, this provocateur, this wild, this wild free being that doesn't care what people write about you or say about you on your Instagram or your TikTok or whatever social media thing you're using, because there's so many today. I don't even know where to begin. But yeah, the whole point is, is that if you think about it from the perspective of like, okay, so if I choose not to be normal and I'm okay to be embarrassing myself and I'm okay with people making fun of me and I'm okay with people talking bad about me and I'm okay with whatever trolls want to come for me, I'm going to be successful in what I do. That's pretty rad. You don't know the word rad. It comes from my era, which is back in the 80s. And that's like cool. So, but not cool with like a C-O-O-L, but a K-O-O-L because it's cool. So yeah, so the thing is, when we look at what's going on right now, we have to realize, wait, newsflash. I don't know about you guys, but... I can't stand going to people's houses and being overloaded with too many Buddhas. It just came over me just now. I just remembered like going to this person's house. They had a Buddha in the bathroom, a Buddha in the pool area, a Buddha in the kitchen, a Buddha in the living room, a Buddha in the bedroom, a Buddha in the front of the house, a Buddha in the back of the house. Yo, that's too many Buddhas, y'all. I mean, really. I mean, if we're going to raise this powerful, enlightened energy of ascension and fifth dimension and all these things that people are talking about, because I mean, all I know is like, I don't know about all these other things. All I know about is I'm going somewhere, but it's it's not going to be here. But first, before I do that, I got to um, make sure that uh, I bring a lot of love to this planet. But going back to the whole Buddha thing, if you go to someone's house and they got like Buddhas everywhere, that's like a cover up. That's like, 
I'm, I, I, I want to be spiritual, but I, I don't really want to be spiritual. So I'm going to put a bunch of Buddhas everywhere to make myself look spiritual. So when people come over, they see the Buddhas everywhere. Too many Buddhas. No one needs to have that many Buddhas. I don't understand why you need to have a Buddha in every area of your house. It's like you, I feel like I'm walking into one of those Indian shops where I'm going to go buy some non-champa and some, you know, and sarees and like, you know, you know, maybe eat some lentils or something because of the fact that you got Buddhas everywhere. I'm just waiting for you to come out with a bindi on your head. You know, it's like, it's a little too much. And I think that people get so caught up in like the look of spirituality versus realizing that spirituality isn't about the posters on your wall, the Buddhas, the crystals on your table. I mean, sure, you can use those things as tools and utilize them to, you know, to benefit your life. Anyhow, the thing is, you literally are clouding your energy from your real relationship, which starts in shamanism, which is the rooted core energy of all practices. If you didn't know that, now you do. So yeah, shamanism has been practiced in ancient, ancient times. It was the first in all practices because it came from tribal culture. That being said, um, you don't need all those things to basically give you the validation or anyone else who comes to your house for a pie or maybe they come for like, I don't know, like some kind of like vegan chocolate or maybe a conversation or maybe um, a booty call. I don't know. But the point is, whatever they call come for, you know, you, they don't need to walk in and see all these Buddhas everywhere and crystals and things everywhere. So you can feel like, Oh my God, I'm so spiritual. Look at all these things I have. Your spirituality is authentic in you. It is not about what you put around your home. I get sometimes so confused when I go to people's homes. Like once I went to this house, there was like statues everywhere, crystals everywhere, Buddhas everywhere. I was like, I didn't even have a place to sit because it was just, stuff everywhere. And I just was like, um, okay, well, this is great, great collectibles, great things going on here, but let's focus on you. And that's the key energy here, right? Focusing on you. It's time to focus on you because you are the most important thing in the universe. It's time to focus on you because you have energy, you have power, and you have grace inside. There's a powerful energy inside of you that's waiting to come out. It's looking for you to focus on you. So all you got to do is focus on you. do 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 I mean, yeah. So key element, focus on you. This is how we're going to transform what's on the outside, which, geez, if people don't realize by now that doing any kind of toiling on the outside doesn't make things change. Doing toiling on the inside makes everything change. Good goodness. Gosh, golly. Yeah, exactly. It's just like that. You see, if you toil on the outside, you're just messing with the energy that was created out of the holographic energy form that was then 
transferred into frequency and emotion and all of these other wonderful things that created the material things you see around you from the consciousness of those who created it is it as a grouping or as an individual, you are really not affecting the greatest change than you actually going in and making the shifts inside. And then what comes on the outside is going to be the greatest change you've ever seen. You see, you know, I mean, you could be a person who's like, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do healing. I'm going to transform the world. I'm going to do all these things. But then as soon as someone says to you, like, um, I felt nothing, your healing sucked. And like, you're, su you're such a phony and a fake. And like, you know, like, what are you doing? All of a sudden you're like, boo, -hoo -hoo, why am I even doing this anymore? That's not, you know why that's happening? Because you didn't focus on the inside, you focused on the outside. You were so much trying to go out into the world instead of realizing that the world inside of you needs to be harmonized and solidified in a grounded way so that when any of these outside trolls go out there looking for you, hi, I'm a troll hunter. I'm a troll hunter too. And I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna put you down. Well, yeah, that's the world we're living in today. We've got a lot of kids right now who live in troll pants and troll shirts. And if you haven't listened to your children playing video games with their headphones and listen to the vulgarity that comes out of their mouths, well, you would then find out what I mean when I talk about being a troll. Trolls exist. They love it. They find fun in it. It's, it's a new type of hype. They go onto your Instagrams. They go into your other places. They make comments, they make rude comments to get your attention because that's what they're seeking. They're seeking energy. Trolls love to eat energy. Yum, 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 yum. They love to eat energy. And you don't have time to be giving no troll, no energy. Okay. You give energy to that which you want to have a return on your energetic investment. Remember, energy is currency, people. You give your energy to something, you're going to get in a return on it. So if you give your energy to someone who's doing things that are not operating in the highest light, then you're going to get the return energy of their behaviors. That's how it operates. It's not like, oh, I'm going to give energy to someone. I'm going to get energy to this ridiculous conversation. I'm having, or I'm going to give energy to this, this nonsense that I'm dealing with right now, or this troll who's trolling me, but I'm going to get, um, that's nothing's going to happen because of it. If I just give energy to it, uh, now, excuse me, have you lost your mind? Uh, when you give energy to anything, because it is a currency, like all currencies, there is a return on that currency, meaning that you've invested. So if you want to invest your energy into nonsense and trolls, know that trolls are energy eaters. Nyam, 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 nyam. And that's what they do. If you want to know the sound of a troll is and that's pretty much what you're going to get if you do that. So the focus right now is you. And what does that mean? That means you looking at all the things that you're not doing to make you happy. Oh my God. Yeah. Because a lot of times people don't focus on what makes them happy. They focus on what makes other people happy, which is actually ridiculous because at the end of the day, you're going to end up back with yourself and you're still going to have to focus on what makes you happy or you're not going to have a really good life. 
So focus on what makes you happy. Spend time really getting in touch with your creative side. Look at where the energy that you're sending out is going, right? You need to know where stuff is going. You're like, you don't just send things out without knowing where it's going. That's like sending a package to sending a package to the post office without any kind of address on it. They're like, uh, where is this going? Uh, dude, where is this going? Um, do you have any idea where this might be going? Uh, no, man, I don't even know where that is. I don't even know what this is. What's in the box? Did I even not? I didn't even put an address on it, man. Yeah, it's like that. Because if you are a person who just lets energy go all over the place and you don't know where it's going, it's not going to be the best for you because you've been getting all these returns of, of currency of energy from people that you've invested in that you don't even know you invested in and you're wondering why your life sucks. So again, let's keep it rock and roll. Let's keep it pop rocks, right? Let's stay lit leaders of legacy, okay? And let's hold the energy of focusing on where our energy is going, getting in that creative space, holding space for yourself, meaning non-guilt space, meaning like I don't need to do anything if just because someone tells me to do it or because someone wants me to do it and because they will make them happy or love me or whatever, because if someone wants you to do something and they feel like they won't love you because you don't do it, or you're afraid that they won't, that is a very imbalanced relationship. And that is a no go on the friend mo friend mo, no go on the friend mo. Yeah. Friend mo like friend mo like friend mo. Yeah. Anyway, that being said, um, so really spend time focusing on that. And if we continue to explore the inner landscape of our multidimensional selves and our amazing capabilities and our powerful mind and our brilliant self, um, we won't be having uh, the matrix be doing these things to us because they know that we won't tolerate it because we'll be a collective of people who say no. Yes. Anyway, I'm so happy we got a chance to talk. I love you. Enjoy the rest of Ancient Wisdom today. And remember, remember, you are powerful and delightful. You are amazing. You are a genius. So get out there and show the world who you are. Thought I'd leave that little fun thing on the end. Oh, and by the way, you can follow me on TikTok at I am Shaman Durek or on Instagram at Shaman Durek. And I look forward to hearing your messages and your DMs on Instagram and your comments on the TikTok. Let's have fun and laugh ourselves into enlightenment. I love you. Bye. Hey Tribe, so the Tribe wants to hear from you. And I know a lot of you are talented out there in music and poetry and recipes and ideas and just, you know, things that you want to share with the Tribe. You can send that information to info at shamandurek.com and share your gifts with the Tribe. Love you all and stay lit. Hey Tribe, we have another Tribal Share by Sequoia Fox, a song named Unattached. You can find her IG at S-E-Q-S-Y-F-O-X. Enjoy.
Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors, who is Lit Verified. The Lit Verified store is open. But what does Lit Verified mean? Lit Verified is an acknowledgement and stamp of approval by the tribe. I have tried each of these products and they are the best. Lit Verified products vary from beauty, technology, clothing, food, health, and wellness, and anything that is ethically sourced, organic, maintained, and sustainable. Not every product offered to the team passes the Lit Verified test. No, not at all. Every Lit Verified product is carefully researched. Every CEO has been met with. Every ingredient carefully looked into the process production of all of it. I have seen the impact these vendors are making. Their vision and ethics are aligned with our tribe, with people who are consciously supporting community and want to make a difference in our world and make it a better place for us. Lit Verified products are ethically sourced and meet the highest industry standards. When purchasing Lit Verified products, we give back by creating sustainability and by leading the world to make better 
choices. You can be confident that you're buying into a company that supports a vision for change, not just a company that wants to line their pockets with money. We live in a time where we are oversaturated by commercials, TV, and social media, where far too many celebrities and influencers are endorsing things they know nothing about and things they might be doing damage to people, to the earth, and to animals. With Lit Verified, we've taken that doubt out of the equation. You're not only getting the best, but you're also doing the best. Pick up your awesome Lit Verified items at shamanduric.com and click on the link that takes you to Lit Verified. Love well, tribe. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I'm very happy to have a dear friend who is here with us, who is going to be sharing about this amazing new book that is called Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. Now, if that is not the (laughs) most amazing headline... <laughs> that we need right now more so than ever than everything that's happening on the planet. I can't begin to tell you, right? Because right now, what are people having the biggest struggle with? Other people and learning wow. how to stay in their truth and speak their truth mm-hmm. and honor who they are. And I'm just so happy. Kristen Powers is a New York Times bestselling author, US Today columnist, and CNN senior political analyst. Woo! powerhouse here okay i mean so if there's anyone that having a, a powerhouse woman it, it gives the greatest grace in the world because more women um modeling that in the world for other girls and for other women is really big so thank you for everything Aww, you. that you do really You're so great I love you. I love you too. I'm so happy. Okay, so let's dive in. Can you tell us about your journey growing up and what led you to take this path as a journalist? Because being a journalist, you know, has a lot of intensities that go along uh, with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a I had a very winding journey, so I will try to keep it as succinct as possible and feel comfortable, feel free just to jump in and be like, okay. <laughs> Um, because I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is, you know, a little, just a little town in Alaska, in the middle of Alaska. I grew up during the seventies. Today is actually my birthday. I'm 54. Congratulations and happy birthday and happy anniversary. Thank you. And so, so just to give people some idea, sort of the era that I grew up in. Um, and I, so it was, it was a pretty simple life, I guess. My parents were archaeologists. They had gone up there to work at the university. And, and I bring that up just to say that uh, in a million gazillion years, if you had ever said like, Kirsten, just one day you're going to be on TV and you're going to be like talk, you know, interviewing famous people and talking about the issues of the day, I would have been like, that's insane. You know, there were no famous people where I was from, right? It's like, we, I'd never met a famous person. I'd never seen a famous person. I, it was so far removed from my reality that I couldn't even imagine it. So Eventually I did go to, you know, I went to college and I I went to college on the East coast and I majored in journalism mainly because I like to write. And, um, my, and my best friend's older sister majored in journalism. Like this is the level of, you know, thought that went into it. And I graduated from college and I realized I didn't really 
I was I didn't really want to be a journalist because uh, back then being a journalist really meant you had to go move to the middle of nowhere and work at some local paper. And so I decided I wanted to work in politics. And so that's that was my first career, actually. So I uh, I started working, in, I was a political appointee in Bill Clinton's uh, administration for about five years. I left there. I worked in the private sector for a little while. During the tech boom, I was at AOL running international communications. I left there. I went into New York politics. I worked you know, on various campaigns, and including Andrew Cuomo's campaign. Um, wow. And um, I, so I was in New York City Democratic politics, and it was th- during that time. Um, this was in mid two thousands. Uh, a friend of mine said, "I really think you'd be really good on TV, and I think that you should be on TV um, talking about politics." There aren't enough at the time. There weren't a lot of women doing it um, and younger women. And she said, and I was like, that's insane. So I, again, I just wasn't, I was like, I don't want to do that. And um, she really pushed me. And I eventually was like, you know what? I'm so scared of this. I think I just have to do this. And so I started going. And I'm glad you did too. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Because we need more models. Yeah. And I, and I ended up uh, going on and very quickly, you know, I didn't have an agent or anything like that or a publicist and I just started getting phone calls and I was on getting called on to be on TV every day. And I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe I could do this. And I ended up um, signing on with Fox News. This was in 2005. So it was a very different place, but it was still, you know, conservative and I wasn't. So it was definitely coming on to be somebody offering a different perspective than other people were offering. And and so I ended up being a political analyst there. And then I joined CNN in 2016. And, and well, and then I also started writing and I, I, I had a column with the New York Post and then the Daily Beast. And then I went to USA Today where I've been writing for about 10 years. And so it just, it sort of turned into a career. So, so it wasn't, it is interesting that I majored in journalism, but I have to say it wasn't really like I didn't anticipate that this was going to happen as a second career. Right. It just, it just happened. And do you feel that in that process that you were being led by spirit to be in all of that so you can understand what's really going on? on a deeper spiritual level for your way to be able to bring information to the planet, which also leads to, of course, your book and understanding the intricacies of what's happening in our world and all the people and the things that we're dealing with and so forth. Do you feel like that gave you that ability to expand yourself in that so that you can be able to be this person who is is speaking in ways for us to be able to grow in our evolution? Not consciously, I have to say. So, so I was not uh, a spiritual person at all. I was, I was an atheist. Actually, uh, uh, I grew up Episcopalian, but I wasn't. You know, it wasn't any kind of serious faith, and I would never have called myself particularly spiritual. And I was pretty much that way until after I joined. No, I guess it was right around when I joined Fox News. I started. It was after my father died, actually, and I started to feel like I needed something more. And so I did end up becoming actually pretty religious. Interestingly, I ended up going to church with this boyfriend and kind of going, falling down the evangelical rabbit hole. And been that there. All, that's, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but it was great when you're in it though. You have to, I mean, you guys yeah. are this, there's the great, I always look at it from the perspective because I was in that as well. But for me, going out in the street and helping people get off the drugs and get out of the street, and also just the idea of 
when I would go to church and they would sing, I felt it was so nice. Now the other stuff that comes along with it. (laughs) Not so nice. But, you know, I mean, one thing that I think is really interesting is because I have not been, you know, I still, I do consider myself a very spiritual person. I'm I'm Catholic-ish, you know, like I'm, but I I consider myself mostly spiritual, not religious now. But one of the things that I I learned that I thought was so important um, is the idea of transcending and including. So if you've actually transcended something, you won't look down on it anymore. You won't put those people down. You won't, you'll just say, you know what? There were some good things and there were some bad things and I'm going to take the good things with me and, you know, God bless. And, 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 you know, a lot of people, when they're coming out and they're deconstructing, they, they take all of that, that the same mentality and they turn it on the people. So it's like, I came out of evangelicalism and then I became like a zealot of like hating evangelicals. Right. Right. That's not the way. Yeah. And then I realized this isn't it. And so, yeah. So instead I can say like, yeah, there actually are some really good things that came with it. I, what I, the way I sort of describe it is I had a real spiritual experience, but I lived in such a secular space. I was working in democratic politics. I was living in Manhattan. I didn't have any religious friends. Um, except I was dating this guy who was religious. And so I was like, well, these are the only people that are talking about this stuff. Like, I don't even know who else to talk to. And I feel like what happened was I had this very profound experience. Um, and basically what happened was a bunch of people said, now we're going to give you a theology. And I'm just like, that's not what I needed, right? I needed somebody to guide me spiritually. And instead it was basically like, here are all the beliefs that go with your spiritual experience. And in fact, it's like, no, those actually don't go with my spiritual experience. Um, And so, but through it, I learned the Bible inside out. Um, I, so I really, you know, I have a lot of knowledge around that, that I, you know, and I think that, um, it's very helpful to me in my job. It's helpful to me. I think with people who are coming out of that world, it's helpful for me, for people who want to be Christians and don't understand that there's a way to do it that doesn't involve, um, you know, being anti-gay or all these other things. So yeah, it's, um, but to get back around to what you're asking about, I definitely felt, I guess you would say led to do what I was doing. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, I, but I didn't have any sense of why, you know, Yeah, and that's not, that's always the case. Like you'll never know why until you're through it. Like God, like spirit would lead you. Yeah. You're like, what is going on? Yeah. I was kind of in a place where I was like, you know, I want to go out and like, you know, serve the poor or do, you know, I was feeling kind of what you were talking about, like going out, you really feel like just filled with this love for humanity. And I just want, and then it's like the doors that were opening for me and everybody around me was like, this is what you should be doing. And I, I was like, really, that's it. Like, I thought I was, you know, I just, so it was, and so I ended up, yeah, going down this road and, um, but we never would have expected this. It's amazing how spirit leads us to where we need to be in order for us to be able to see greater and deeper ideas and understandings of ourselves and humanity. You know, there's this great, beautiful surrender, but also this, this um, huge blind spot of I'm just going to keep going 
and wherever this leads me. And then it always leads you back to yourself in the most beautiful way, which I think is very important, especially is in, in a way of being able to help people who are coming out of that and help people be able to come from a place of more of an acceptance and an understanding where people are in their evolution in regards to that versus saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But let us go ahead and look at it from a perspective of understanding where everything has a place for those who need it at the time that they need it. And then as they move through that, like you did, it opens up a greater understanding of consciousness because you're not just seeing it from one angle. You're able to see it from two angles now. And I think that's a huge gift uh, to be able to have. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I don't know if you feel this way or not though, you know, it's, it's a, these are hard lessons to learn. Um, you know, it's like when I think about that and I think about that time and I was talking to a friend about today and I sometimes feel like, gosh, I just got so off course, you know, because I was in this world that I'm not really part of anymore. And I don't really, I don't really identify with it, but to realize that that was my journey and that a lot of the wisdom that I have came from going through that, even though there's a lot about it that I really regret or don't, I I shouldn't say regret, but a lot that I don't, you know, I'm kind of like, who I am today, I wouldn't probably do that. Right. And so it's, um, and just, but, but at the same time, I probably couldn't have gotten to where I am without going through it. Um, it was, it's also humbling, you know, um, it's humbling to have been so certain about something and then to really come out of it and be like, wow, that was not, no. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, a hundred percent understand being a shaman, one day waking up and being told to walk away from shamanism, go and become a reborn again Christian evangelist. Then all of a sudden waking up in spirit saying, okay, you got what you needed. Now walk away. And just <laughs> like, what? You know, you. <laughs> right? So what, so, <laughs> so what motivated you to create this amazing book and share these teachings with everyone? Um, necessity. So necessity is the mother of invention. And I got to a place where I just was, you know, I was on TV every day having these crazy making conversations with people who, this is basically post 2016. And I would just be driving home and I would just be in a rage and filled with contempt and despair and all of these other things. And I, I got to this point, it really, it took a little while, actually. It was the end of 2018 and I just hit a wall and I just sat there and said, my, the way I think about people and the way that I sometimes talk about people it is not aligned with my beliefs. Like I am completely out of alignment. Um, I, I believe in, in loving my enemies. Like I really believe that. And, and I don't like, and I'm not even trying like, uh, you know, and because I've never really been up against something like this before, <laughs> right? And so it's, um, I don't know that I've ever had somebody that I felt that strongly about on a consistent base, you know, and, and it was brought into my like consciousness every single day where I had to really go, you know, and to really not feel that. And so I... I was spending way too much time online. I was on Twitter all the time, which I don't care. You could be the sanest person in the world. It will make you a psychopath. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I was just really like snarky, like just all sorts of you know stuff. And I, I took a step back and I, I realized I wanted to get into alignment. And I ended up writing a column um, when, for, for USA Today saying, our culture is toxic. Um, I am contributing to it. 
I can see that I'm contributing to it. Um, and I, I want to, I want to change. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and I actually was like, and here are some specific things that I've done that I think are not okay. Um, and, um, and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to change. And I think the thing that's really missing from our culture is grace. I just don't think we create any space for people to be different than us, um, without demonizing or dehumanizing them. And, um, and so I, uh, uh, an agent at CAA got in touch with me and said, this should be a book. And I was like, you know, it should be a book because this is what I'm going to dedicate the next couple of years of my life to. So I was like, I may as well chronicle it. And so the book really is my journey of getting into alignment and basically saying, okay, here I am, Kirsten, end of 2018. Um, how do I become this Kirsten over here who's in alignment? What is standing between me and that person? Why? Because you can't just go like magic, like, oh, I'll have grace for everybody. It just doesn't work like that. So no. what are the things that are keeping me from getting there? And so that's what I started to delve into. And I just discovered that, um, you know, I had a lot of trauma that I needed to deal with. Um, I had to unlearn binary thinking, which is, of course, the way, even if you're not traumatized, most people in the West think. Um, so really unlearning and realizing that, there are actually are cultures that don't think like this, that don't put everything in the either or, you know, good, bad basket. So how do I learn, you know, spending a lot of time reading a lot of Buddhism, um, you know, con studying con contemplative Christianity. Um, and so I, ugh, Eckhart Tolle, you know, I mean, just all these different ways of really trying to stretch my brain into thinking different ways. And then did a lot of intensive therapy with trauma-informed therapists. I started looking at studying brain science, like what does, you know, what activates you understanding my central nervous system and how it can get so jacked up so easily by what's coming in to me, the social science. So that's, it was all these different things of, of really being like, there are a lot of things. And, and I really just started to feel this capacity growing for grace. Like it just started to just slowly kind of open up where I could start to say, you know, I define grace as creating space for other people to not be you and, and they get to not be you and, and not be demonized or dehumanized or held in contempt. If that doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean that you have to be friends with them or that there are no consequences for bad behavior, but that, you know, I do think there is a difference between accountability and annihilation. And a lot of what we call accountability is actually annihilation. And so we have to be honest about like, are we really trying to create wholeness where brokenness was caused or are we just trying to destroy somebody? If I was being honest, I think I was probably just trying to destroy, not consciously, right? You know, but it's like, we are, I mean, you've talked about this, people looking for the monster, you know, and it's, and it's, it's like Nietzsche said, you know, you don't, you know, when you're fighting the monster, don't become the monster. And you can yes. start seeing that happening, you know, where it's like the person who, and the person you're hurting the most is yourself, you know, in the process, like your, your, your own humanity is lost um, when you start, start treating other people this way. And so the book is actually mostly a survival guide. You know, it's, 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 the the biggest beneficiary will be the person who reads it. Um, now, if everybody practiced it, our culture would benefit for sure. Absolutely. But in the short, immediate term, the person who will benefit the most is the person who reads it and the person who practices it. 
You know, it's interesting. Um, you're talking about grace. One of my things that I always say since I was a kid, what's easing grace is the pace. And I used to always say that to my family, to friends, you know, and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, and what I found very fascinating growing up was looking at how human beings, um, uh, you know, I was always fascinated when I look at how we 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 reprimand human beings. Um, it's very domesticated, almost like the way we raise our animals and our and our um, you know our dogs, and how we basically create these ideas of structure that are based in making mistakes with punishment, and these punishments can be uh, anything. And if you look out through history, you see this. And so, you know, as a kid. When I was in my young teenage years, I was really wanting to understand what is this? Why is this happening? And then I started looking at a lot of tribal cultures and looking at like, you know, things that come back in my heritage and where my family comes from and all the different tribal cultures. And what I found was was fascinating to me was that human structure is flawed because of singularity adaptation. That means that when a child is growing up, they are not able to tell their parents where there is imbalance. They're only able to understand or guess or figure out what the parents' instructions are, indoctrinations are, and therefore reap the punishment as their parents are giving it to them. So there's this idea of unfairness that I had to go through that so other people should too. And so it's, right? So true. Right? And so it's 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 that consciousness of they deserve to suffer. They deserve to go through pain. They deserve to be punished for what they did. Instead of there is no place where we're looking at how do we reform, rebuild, redefine, and refine the principles of understanding of evolution, growth, and maturity from, from understanding these different levels of evolution? And why aren't we making the space for that to exist? What is your thoughts on, on that matter? Yeah, I mean, I, I see that all the time, you know, and in a lot of different ways, um, and, and and even in really strange ways where you see my ex husband was a surgeon, and the you know they put them through these crazy trainings where they like they, there's like a like seven, like an t- entire day and a half every week where they don't sleep in residency. I mean, it's so inhumane, and they all will talk about it. It's just was so inhumane and so horrible, and they make mistakes, and there's all these things. And so they are always trying to change it. But the doctors who went through it are always saying, no, we had to go through it. So the next group has to go through it. And that's like, what are you, what? It's so, but it's unconscious. I don't think people are even like thinking about what they're saying. It's like, right. And you know how bad it was. And now you are going to make somebody else do it because you did it. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I see it also in the, um, you know, sometimes in the culture of, I just feel like there's so much in the political debate of always, if you bring something up, it's the whataboutism. So you'll say, you know, well, we should have, you know, grace for this person. Or do it. Well, what about that person? Or what about blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what about them? Why don't we just start here with this situation and 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 start changing the cycle? you know, and start changing the way we do things instead of always like you're always one thing about being in Washington and in politics. And you probably can see this. It's just, it's, it's like these running, like, it's like the Israelis and the Palestinians. You know exactly. what I mean? Like it's just, it, it's just all of these old grudges and resentments of, from like 50 years ago. 
You know, I, people are still, and there's people are still litigating it, you know, or something that happened 20 years ago. It's like nobody ever really wants to move on. And it's all about it's also, I think, one of the big problems in our culture, and maybe it's a humankind problem. I don't know. It does feel to me to be a pretty American thing is the need to dominate everybody. Um, there, I just feel like there is this aggressiveness and that this idea that strength is like putting people down and like clapping back and insulting them and holding them in contempt. And it's like, and I've even had people say to me in interviews, well, I mean, isn't grace just kind of the easy way out? I mean, you're just, it's like the easy thing. And I I always say like anyone who thinks practicing grace is easy has never practiced grace. Like it's, it requires so much work on the back end. And then it's also, it's such a discipline. And the easiest thing I've ever done in my life is hate people. Like it's like breathing. Super easy. It's so easy. It's beyond easy. Put people down to hold them in contempt to all these things. It's, It's just like, it's so easy. Like stop acting like this is, this is like tough or strong, right? You know, it's, it's not tough. It's, it's the opposite of tough. Um, but I feel like so many of our values are so upside down and people are so confused, you know, they're confused about, um, they're confused about what strength is. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that, you know, idea of strength was over governed by the masculine energy that has played out on the planet, you know, because like, you know, when I was talking about Palestine and Israel, for instance, you know, I, in my early years, went to Israel during one of their wars to help the people. And when I was spending time living in, first I was living in Haifa and then Tel Aviv and then Jerusalem and then back to Tel Aviv. But when I was spending time doing all of this love care, um, creating like different types of uh, events and situations which we can start um, bringing the mind to a higher place on how to handle all the conflicts, we call it in Israel, Balagan. And the energy that constantly was like sent to me from people was the Palestinians want to kill us. The Palestinians want to kill us. So a friend of mine who works in the United Nations, I was like, can you get me to go stay with the family in the Gaza Strip? I want to spend time with the Palestinians. I want to understand their way of thinking and understand what they're doing. So I, you know, he took me to do that. And what I gained from that was watching how they were like, the Israelis want to kill us. The Israelis want to kill us. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, let me do a little understanding because I know the story of Ishmael and Isaac and this whole story and this whole grudge of who got the promised land, who didn't get the promised land and who deserves the promised land. But it's really coming down to the unfairness that they feel, that the Palestinians feel the unfairness that America is constantly giving them the Israeli support and they're not getting what they need. And then everybody is having this grudge and it's all based upon power and position. And that's when I started noticing, even being in Turkey, when I was doing the stands in um, the park with Erdogan and everyone was standing, we were getting sprayed with, uh, with water and tear, we were getting tear gassed. And it was so intense. And being there, you know, writing a book for women to come out of oppression in Muslim culture in a Muslim country and everyone, all they could see was that I'm defying their principles in the Quran instead of realizing what I'm actually saying is give more grace to women. You're not giving women space to be women. And that's why your countries, it's why you're having all these conflicts and all these problems. And it's fascinating because in life, when we look at it, like growing up, 
as a, a person of color in America, um, coming from a mom who's Norwegian, a father who's from who's uh, from Ghana and, and Haiti and his roots and dealing with racism growing up from my teachers, from my school bus person, from every single person I spoke to, I was negotiating my existence. And like, why is it, why does it have to be that way? And even now in my relationship, because everyone knows that I'm bisexual as what they call it. I just call it soul sexual, but I'll let people say bisexual so they can understand and being with the princess and how people feel about that. And they think, oh, well, you can't be bisexual and be a shaman and be a person of color and be with her world, be with the royal princess. And, 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 and it can't work. It's not possible. And it's all because human beings don't allow breathing room for space for God to show up. It's like they don't allow God to show up. And what I love about you and what you've written and, and talking about your book of grace and how to dismantle these, uh, these uh, misconceptions about grace and really helping people understand what it means to truly be and live and understand grace, not from the place of, I got it, I figured it out. And it's just like you said, it's easier to tell someone to go F off or any of these things. It's much more challenging to tell someone who irritates you and gets under your skin that you love them. How do you feel people are going to step into that space in, in, in what's happening after everything that's happening with the COVID and everything that we've been experiencing on earth? Well, I think that, you know, people, the people have to decide that they want to do things differently. And, you know, I think if they decide that they want to do things differently, there are different roadmaps that they can follow. Obviously, the one that I'm laying out is just one. There's many. Um, and But I, I really tried to make it very practical because I do think people don't really know. And I think there's a lot of unlearning to do about, you know, the kind of dynamics that you're talking about. And so, you know, when people are saying, well, what, you know, when my book came out, Thanksgiving is coming up. What should I do? And it's like, well, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You're probably not going to like in two <laughs> weeks, go home and be able to practice grace. But, you know, and, and, and it may even get, it may even be true that you'll never really get completely to the, that place. Um, but we could all do a little better, right? It's like, we don't have, it's not, we don't have to be perfect. Um, what I have found is that it has really radically transformed me. But of course I really dove into this and I, I really made it, I really wanted my, my, I wanted alignment. That was very important to me. And so, um, you know, I was also looking at, you know, like I said, I'm 54 and you start to look at your life and you're like, who do I want to be? You know, you have, you start having people around you dying and you start with more regularity and you start to think about things and realize how petty so much of the things that are going on around us are. And um, I think that grace is a very transcendent idea, which is why, you know, it it is both very alluring and also very off-putting for both, you know, because people can be, they kind of like the idea of transcendence, but then in our culture, people are a little like leery of it as well. Um, And so it is calling us to sort of something higher than I think the way we normally are thinking about how how do I dominate the other side um, instead of how do I see the other side with humanity? Um, And what does it mean to love your enemies? It doesn't mean your besties. It could, 
that could happen. It does happen sometimes, but it means, you know, like when Jesus was talking about that, he was talking about agape love, which is very different than the love you have for your brother or your wife or, or those kinds of, you know, relationships. It's not eros. And so we just use one word for love. And so we get very confused about what that means. And so people hear yes. love my enemies. Well, that means I have to, you know, I have to be friends with them. I have to feel the love I feel for a friend. It's like, no, it's just, it's just, it's what MLK was talking about. It's like just seeing the humanity in them and seeing that them, the the possibilities in them and that there's more to them than their views on whatever issue is upsetting you or whatever behavior that they've done. It's seeing the totality of them the same way we want people to see the totality of us. Do any of us want to be judged based on like, a video clip of us doing like the stupidest thing we've ever done. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it is, it is putting these do unto others into practice. Right. And so to, I, you know, I talk a lot about judgment, which I don't think there's a single spiritual discipline or religion that tell, doesn't tell you not to judge people. And, you know, and the reason is, I believe is because it's when you judge people, you become like energetically entwined with them you kind of want like, you know, so, so take the Trump person on TV or whatever, instead of doing what I would do now, which is I would just look at them and be like, I don't agree with that. And here's why I don't agree with that. And da, 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 da. Yep. And then leave. I was like essentially reaching over and being like, can I take all of these views and just bring them over here and like hold them and think about them and marinate in them and then and like carry them around and go home and lay in bed thinking about them while you're like off sleeping like a baby. You know, it's like, I'm now become intertwined with this person versus just saying, um, I'm just, I disagree with you, you know, Absolutely. and leaving it at that. It's just not, you know, and you know, I, I interviewed Ruby Sales for the book, who's a civil rights icon. And I read a lot of MLK and John Lewis and looking at it. And, and you know, the, the reason that they were practicing this is was mostly to protect themselves, you know, because they didn't want to, to have all of that coming, getting inside of them, you know, because they were fighting all these, this dehumanizing behavior. And so, um, and it also turns out usually changing people's minds is is more likely to happen if you're not demonizing them. It it doesn't mean that you will change their minds, but it it will open up a little space. Um, And so when I think of grace, I do think of a lot of spaciousness. It's just, but, but it's really important to say it's not condoning. It's like somebody's like, there's a saying like empathy is not endorsement. It's yes. It's you're still, that's why I put speak your truth in the title because like I still, and I have, you know, people coming and saying, Republicans saying like, I thought you said you're practicing grace and you're saying all these, this and that and the other thing. It's like, no, 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 I'm still going to say what I believe. Like that's not going to stop. Um, my problem was an internal problem mostly. You know, it was a, it was like an, it's, I always, it's like you're, it's an orientation towards other people. Most people aren't walking up to other people and telling them that they hate them. Some people do that, but they're just thinking it. You know, most people are, um, not telling people they're judging them. Some people are doing it maybe with your family or something, but it's like, you're mostly walking around doing it in your head or or with your friends and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, I say like, don't confuse good manners with grace because a lot of times people would say, I see you on TV and you act with such grace. It's like, no, I act with good manners and I'm, I'm, and I'm a very composed person. Don't confuse that with grace. Cause if you could hear what was going on inside of my head, like you would not think that I have grace the, the way that I was before. 
And so it's like, don't focus so much on your behavior, focus on the inner orientation of how you are sort of positioning yourself towards the world. Um, and, you know, MLK said, hate is too great a burden to bear. And oh, I think yes. That's, yes. it's like, it's a burden and we bear it. Like it's not, it's it's not really about the other person as much. Again, it's it's very toxic for society. There's no question, um, and that's just maybe even a, a, another level of this. But you know, we're we're headed towards I don't know what in this country. You know, it's it's scary to think about what we're headed for. But we are certainly in this in the phase where we've moved into dehumanizing people that uh, we disagree with, and so um, what usually follows that is civil war. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, yeah. And I talked to a lot of people, peace and reconciliation experts, and they're all like, yeah, I've seen this. <laughs> like, I've seen this in other countries. Like, this is everybody says all the way up until the, the day the war breaks out, like, oh, that that's not going to happen here. And, you know, and it's like and, and then it does. And yeah. So so like it's a really serious issue. Like either we're going to figure this out or we're not going to make it. Yeah. That's really interesting, um, too, to add to everything you're saying. From the shamanic point of view, we look at judgment as um, a misinformation of you being able to understand something. You cannot judge something because you're only judging from the place of lacking information. So what we do is we just observe. It doesn't mean we observe and we don't have feelings about it, but we don't react to those feelings in the way that other people would. The, The consciousness of humanity, we see it as why people are in conflict with each other is because human beings, just like an alcoholic or a smoker or anyone else, they feel that there's so many things telling them what to do, paying bills, dealing with children, dealing with life, having to do this, having to do that, all of these things they have to do in order to maintain just a life on this planet that they use what we call um, um, active stubbornness. And active stubbornness in shamanism means that they choose to hold a stubborn position for gaining power. So the idea is they feel powerless inwardly and they use the, I'm going to, if I can take control over someone else or, or put my views on someone else or have an opinion or create some type of, of misuse of power, that is a power grab for me to be able to feel strong. And this is the biggest problem that I see um, from you know my uh, existence so far on the planet is the inability for human beings to understand that the hierarchy that we live in is based on, well, as long as I have someone I can enslave, then I'm good. And so if you look at it from the perspective, like even just me being a person of color, why did why did people have so much affliction towards people of color? But then you look at the a person who is a lighter skin complexion, there is a hierarchy within their system. So the idea of those who are on the top, who have all the money and the wealth and the power and so forth, then there's the, what we call, people call the white trash society, people who don't have that, right? And so they feel like, well, I'm not them, but I'm still powerful because I can enslave this person of color, right? And it's the idea of that old hierarchy in ancient times, like in ancient Egypt, you had the Pharaoh, but everyone in his, in his palace was enslaved. 
So they had freedom, but they didn't have freedom where they could just leave. They had freedom to have other slaves, to eat healthy, uh, eat great, and have wealth and all of these different things, but they still were enslaved by the Pharaoh. So that way the Pharaoh never felt they could ever leave. Why would you leave when you have all this luxury? And so this is the promise of humanity. Humanity feels this stubbornness for, for power grabs, just like a person who's super empathic feels that if they drink and they smoke and they put things in their system, that's the one thing that they get to make a choice on. So they feel like it's a power grab. And I think that the reason why is because women are coming into more and more of their power And that power comes in from having grace for themselves so that their children can see that mom is creating grace for herself and dad is creating grace for himself. And so we can create grace for ourselves. So they grow up with the, with the understanding of this grace that you speak about, which is so beautiful, by the way, because I have interviewed so many people and I've never heard anyone write a book like this. So you have really dived into that path because you remember in religion, they talk about grace all the time, but there is no grace. Yes. <laughs> no, it's like, I mean, it's, and it, it's incredible that you don't, and there's actually, they teach a lot of spiritual bypassing. You know, it's just that, oh, well, you're just, you just worship God so much. You'll be so filled up with God's grace. And then it will like pour out of you. And it just doesn't, happen. Like that doesn't, and that's not how, and that's not what anybody's really even practicing. They're not creating space for people to be different. They're telling everybody that they have to believe and act certain ways, or, you know, they're going to hell, um, or they're going to get kicked out of the, um, you know, the, the community. So, you know, I think it's like this idea, even just the, yeah, the idea of letting another person, not be you and not be a bad person is a really radical idea. Um, and it's also interesting, like when you're saying like the lack of knowledge, you know, I think about it a lot in terms of people will say, well, I would never do the thing that that person did. And it's like, well, first of all, you probably have done some things that we just don't know about. Like if you're being totally, if you know, if you get really honest with yourself, like we, we've all hurt people. And, Absolutely. And, and, you know, we've all done things that we shouldn't have done. And, you know, fortunately we did or said things we shouldn't have said. We just didn't say them. And this is while somebody was videotaping them and putting them on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> if I haven't done those things, why haven't I done those things? Right. So, and a lot of it is because I grew up in a family that, you know, was educated and racially aware and, you know, was teaching me about, you know, certain issues. And, you know, my mother was bisexual and I had people around who were gay. And so I always, was, you know, supported gay marriage when most people I know, even Democrats didn't support gay marriage, you know, even in the nineties. That's uh, right. Had horrible homophobic views, you know, and but now would have no problem judging other people. Right. And it's like everybody's just forgotten that. And and so it's like it's it, I don't I don't get to pat myself on the back and be like, well, I always supported same sex marriage because of something inherently good in me. No, I had a mother who taught me that. You know, so it's it's so if so I always say, who would you be if you live that person's life like would you, you would be different you would be a totally different person why would that be that doesn't doesn't make any sense if you had all of their traumas if you had all of their experiences um i talk about this with a friend of mine who's gay who grew up in an evangelical family in the south and 
he left. He had to leave first to survive, right? Um, because he couldn't be accepted in that climate. And he moved to New York City and he used to be very conservative politically. And now he's liberal politically and he's, you know, he's gay and he's out and all this stuff. But I always say, what if you hadn't been gay? You'd probably like your brothers. Brilliant right? question. Brilliant like, question. And he's and he agrees with that. He's like, you're right. Like the system would have been working great for me. White man in the South and evangelical. I was a pastor. Like I would have just, I would have been living large. I would have, you know, and so it's like, because he was gay, he moved, he was exposed to different things and he became a different person. And so, so that, I think that that gives you grace for other people. Right. But I think at the same time, it's really important to say that doesn't mean when somebody does something that harms another person, that there aren't consequences for it. We are accountable for our behavior. So I am in no way saying somebody says something racist. We should just be like, well, they just grew up somewhere and they don't know any better. It's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. You know, it's, I think that people should learn to hold themselves accountable. I have um, an entire chapter on how to repent and repair, you know, something that we don't do in our culture. Like, you know, people who apologize because they offended somebody. It's like, no, apologize for your behavior. Apologize for what you said. What are you doing to become a different person? What are you doing to make things right? You know, there are things that can be done. And so I think that, you know, there should be consequences, but but not this kind of annihilation, which I think a lot of times people will say, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just holding them accountable. And it's like, really, because they're never going to be able to get another job. <laughs> yeah, with the whole cancel like, culture. That doesn't really feel like accountability to me. Um, you know, the flip side of it is I have two chapters on cancel culture. I kind of put it in quotes because I think it's just, it's, it means so many different things to different people. I, I, it's, a, it's a both and argument. So it's speaking of, you know, living in this kind of, you know, not black and white kind of way of thinking, which is, I think sometimes, you know, we say accountability and we actually annihilate. I also think that can't, the cancel culture is a kind of natural reaction to society ignoring systemic problems and driving people over the edge. You know, so it's not even like driving them to the edge, it's driving them over the edge where there's a constant double standard. You know, it's, it's like, you know, constant double standard for, you know, how black boys are treated, right? Like in schools where they get kicked out of school for doing the same thing that a white student did, does, and literally canceled, like their whole life is destroyed. Cause once you get off that track, then you, you fall into probably getting into criminal behavior and all these other things once you fall out of the educational track. And so, so people don't really spend any time on that. But then when, you know, I have a story in the book about like a white girl who got so-called canceled because she said the N word, it's like the end of the world. And so, and whereas I would say, I think she was 15. I think that there should be probably a little more space for her to make mistakes and do better. But the people who are screaming about this and it becomes national news, literally national news, um, need to bring that same energy to the Black kids who are getting kicked out of school and having their lives destroyed. And it's actually happening on a regular basis. Like what happened to this girl is, is occasionally happening. This is always happening. Right. Sure. So that's the thing that I think people have to, I, I, you know, so if somebody starts complaining to me about that kind of stuff, I'm like, okay, I, I hear you. And I think that we need to create some space over here for people to make mistakes, but you've got to bring that same level of outrage to systemic racism. 
or systemic you know, and I see that with men, um, you know, that I know that I've worked with in my career, um, in the media who are, you know, on TV complaining about cancel culture and men, you know, getting canceled for sexual harassment or saying something. And I'm like, I've never once heard you talk about sexism. I've never heard you complain about women being mistreated. Like, where's your energy for that? You're so concerned all of a sudden about this. And so I think there, there's like two problems going on. And then, and then people will say, well, okay, but you know, two wrongs don't make a right. So we should just let the guy off the hook, you know? And it's like, but you have to understand why women are so angry. Like, Absolutely. Not, like you have to stop with this. You have to stop with like, you know, this, all this concern and like national stories about this happening to this man. When I worked with you for the last 25 years and talked to you about the sexism that I experienced and you didn't care. Yeah. You know, and so, so yeah, so I think it's a complicated issue and it's, um, and, and uh, that everybody needs to kind of, you know, have more empathy for each other, right? Like to actually like, like if people would look and say like, well, why are people reacting this way? Why do people want this person to be canceled or whatever? Right. It's like, what, what's that about? And how do we address those issues? And how do we also have empathy for the person who's caused the harm and create a culture where they can repair which they where they caused harm um, and where we can welcome them back after they've done that? Yeah, which I love. That's the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, yeah. you know. And one of the things that I really like too, what I always look at in everything that you're saying is that a lot of people are, are not going into the understanding that we require refinement and that this isn't the planet of perfection. And so human beings have this idea. And it's even too like what you're saying about the, 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 the boys of color who get kicked out of school. That mentality comes back from slave culture. And in the slave culture times, uh, people who were enslaving um, people of color would see that if they did something bad, if any of the kids did anything bad, they would immediately uh, inflict punishment on them for the rest of their time being a slave because they would say uh, one bad seed, um, you know, rottens the, um, rottens the rest. Yeah. And so the mentality that people um, of lighter skin complexion, white people, as we say, they create this narrative in their head that when they see a person who is of dark skin, the moment they make one mistake, there's no way they can ever come back because it's been ingrained in them, you know, um, through many things. It could be epigenetics. It could be ancestral belief systems passed down from each family member that they didn't even realize was being passed down. But this is the mentality. Because like for me, anytime I do anything that seems off, in just a small little way, I'm crucified for, 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 you know, for being who I am. And on top of that, the cancel culture aspect is the idea of basically saying that you should have known better. But how do we know better if we are not looking at refinement on planet Earth, rehabilitation? Um, you know, people are uh, trigger happy uh, culture and triggers 
are the biggest downfall that we say in shamanism for human potential because human beings react to the triggers and blame other people for triggering them instead of say, I'm going to look at these triggers and see where they come from, right? And then do what is ta- what is necessary to create the refinement, mm-hmm. to create that level of compassion and that level of empathy that gives us the ability to move forward as a species. Yeah, but I think that that's, I mean, that is really where having a spiritual life, I think, helps so much if you're seeing things through that lens. Though you could even say through a psychological lens as well, though, because I think a lot of psychologists would agree with that. It's just that I always think like when I get triggered now, I'm like, oh, this is information. Yes, that's how I look at it as well. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot wait to get into this and find out like what it was. Like, is it, is it, is it it something that I do and I don't see that I do? Is it my shadow? Is it something that happened to me that I haven't integrated? Like I'm, I'm so, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a totally different way of looking at it. I don't feel victimized. I feel like some, uh, it's really about me. Yep. Because, exactly. Because the, because instead what, if I, what I would normally do, if it's not something in me that needs to be dealt with is I would be discerning. I would see it. And I would say, Hmm, I might even be like, that person's not for me. You know, I'm just not my flavor, you know? Um, but it's not, Ooh, that person's so, you know, I keep a list of like, anytime I judge anybody because it's always like, I'm interested to know what you think about that from a shaman, you know, from shamanism perspective, like, cause I think of it as you're always projecting onto other. So when you're judging other people, you're really, you're judging them for things that you have done or that you do that you can't see that you do. It's like your shadow. And so you're versus just noticing it. Yeah. Right? So if you just notice it, it'd be like, fine. But if you get really activated by it, it's because usually it's something you're doing, or maybe somebody did it to you and you haven't healed it. Yeah. So the judgment well, there's two aspects. Okay. So the shadow aspect is the part of your being that wants you to be honest and tell the truth. So it doesn't have any connections to what people say or whatever. What the shadow's purpose is, is that you haven't taken responsibility for these energies, these behaviors, these thoughts, these emotions. So I'm going to hold on to it because I'm your light. And I'm going to hold on to these things for you until you're ready to come to me and say, me the places where I'm not, where I'm betraying myself, not honoring myself and being in integrity with Mm -hmm. myself. The aspect of judgment is the projection of the fear of that, which you cannot come into love with, with yourself. You cannot go to your shadow and say, okay, shadow, you know what? I'm so grateful for you holding on to all these things that you are a being of light. That is my higher self that people call the higher self. And you've chosen to be the reflection of my shadow to help me integrate into the light by me being honest and truthful and having that level of of integrity and also follow through in order to be able to shift and refine myself into a much more higher and more intellectual being that is operating on the field of love, compassion, acceptance, understanding, givingness, and so much more. And of course, as we say, grace. So... Right. So the so the action of judgment gives people an excuse to not look at those things so that they can then say, I'm going to consume myself like you said. And I love that you said that 
where you judge someone, you're taking in the energy, you're, you're wrapping yourself up. And we call it in, in, um, in shamanism, the understanding of a quantum entanglement. It's yeah. the idea that you cannot be free, even in the act of forgiveness. If you try to forgive them, you're still creating a hierarchy of judgment. So therefore you're trapped. So you have to accept them and make space for them, which goes back to your book, going back into grace, right? Because that's really what it is. And so yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you just reminded me of something and I can't remember if it's in your book or if I heard you talking about it somewhere else, but how you don't really feel like you need to forgive your parents because you feel like it was part of your, and I, I, I can, I had a similar experience with when I started to really, I, I call it a practice because it really does feel like a meditation practice or are you it really is actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was towards the end of writing my book. Um, where I, uh, I, I, I've always had a very difficult relationship with my mother, like a very painful, you know, like a real mother wound kind of thing where I always felt she really shouldn't have had kids is the truth. You know, my mom just, and I think that I just always felt like I got ripped off. Right. Yeah. Like I felt the same. Else, everyone got like the great mom. That's the best friend. And my mom, you know, I'm not even sure she even likes me. You know what I mean? Like it was, that's how I felt. And so, um, but we had gone to a place where I had forgiven her, right? You know, I had done all this work to kind of forgive her. And, we, and we've, we've always managed to have a relationship somehow. Anyway, I was sitting on the sofa and I was thinking about it. And all of a sudden, I just was overwhelmed with empathy. And I just put myself in her place. And I was like, she was, you know, from a very Catholic family. My grandparents were very strict, very religious. Um, and here she was, this woman who was, you know, I don't know if she knew she was bisexual, but, you know, she certainly discovered that later, but she was somebody who felt like she needed to get married and have kids because that's what she was supposed to do. And so, you know, by the time she figured out that this was not the life that she wanted and that she was living somebody else's life, she was married with two kids to a man, you know, and, and so, and then I think she got to a place where she was like, I, I can't do this. And so she divorced my dad and she, she had a relationship with a woman and, you know, and, and, and went on that way. And I thought, gosh, I, I just can't imagine how hard that was. You know, I can't imagine how hard it would be to have come. I love my grandparents, but to have come from that, that, that family to live during that time, to be one of the first women, you know, to like, she was be an archaeologist and she had a PhD and, you know, all these things and like, and all the sexism and just all the stuff she was dealing with. And I was like, I have so much empathy for her. And I was like, there's nothing to forgive. Like she, she was doing the best she could. And you can't ask somebody to do anything more than that. Right. And it's like, and I do say that's grace. That's like seeing that people are doing the best they can with what they have. And doesn't mean there aren't consequences. There were consequences for our relationship, you know, but, you know, I ended up writing her a letter and I was actually was like, you know what? I actually got so many good things from you. Like I learned about justice and equality and like so much of what's good about me came from you. And I'm so glad you're my mom. And I'm like, I could never have thought I would say these words, um, but it reminded me of what you were saying. We're like, I don't even feel like she, I need to forgive her because like, that's what grace is. It's just saying like, you did the best you could. And that's who's, to say I would, who's to say I would have been any different. You know, I, <laughs> I don't, why, you know, if I came out of your situation, why, you know, who's to say I would, you know, and she did the best she could and she wanted to be a good mom and she does love me. You know, it's just, she wasn't really cut out for motherhood. Absolutely. You know? and, 
Um, and she, and she was, you know, she wanted to have a career and that's what she wanted to do. And so it's like, it's, it's a, it's such a shift paradigm shift, uh, to think that way, you know, that I think that it's, it's like, and that's, it, that's why it's so hard, but that's also why it's so transformative. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it's not an easy thing. And it's such a different way of the way we think, um, the kind of, also the kind of got to work, people got to have to work for everything. Like you, you're not going to give somebody something they don't deserve. Like they don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't, you know, but in the Christian paradigm, grace is, is unearned favor. So you can't earn it. Um, and so I, I think that's hard for people in this, in, in this culture who are like, no, you work for everything. You earn everything you get, you know? And so if, if you want me to see you with humanity, then you need to act like this, this, and this. Yeah. Right? That's the problem. Cause that's, that's the framing culture. We call that in shamanism framing, where you place an idea about what you think a person is and you put a frame around them. And that's how you choose to see them all the time. And, and that can only come down when people develop a level of empathy and a level of intuition. And it has to be two parts of both intuition and empathy. They can't just do it alone because it won't work because the intuition aspect gives them the bigger picture aspect of the emotion, uh, emotional intelligence that is required in order to understand that person. Like I'll use my, my girlfriend, for example, when we first started dating, um, I started noticing how, how racist she was. And I was like, babe, um, you're really racist, you know? Oh my God. And, and, you know, and for her, she wasn't, she was like, she felt bad about it, but I wasn't beating her up about it either. I simply said, you were born in a world where you were given that spoon in your mouth the, the rules and the ideas that like you were indoctrinated in a lifestyle as being uh, you know, her royal highness in a way that that's, that's what it was normal, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and now you get this opportunity to be with someone like me who can point out to you what it looks like. And she recently said on television, we were on the TV show in New York on the talk show for Tamron Hall. And she said, you know, one of the greatest things that I've learned from being in this relationship is that uh, people who are lighter skin, who are white, do not have the right to tell another person of color what racism looks like oh, and what it is. Percent. Right? Thousand. Because a lot of times people say, oh, I'm not racist. I'm like, but that was racist. But you can't. But no, it's not. But you can't tell me what it is because you don't know what it is. So I have to educate you, but I'm not going to do it from a place of begrudging someone or, you know, holding some animosity or any of these things. I'm going to do it from a place of love. And that comes from intuition and empathy to understand where you have been and where you are going. Yeah, I think now I don't know what it's like where she lives. So I don't know what they're taught. You know, I think one of the problems in the United States is that people were taught. I certainly this is what I was taught growing up for the most part. In school, I'm thinking if I didn't have my parents telling me stuff, that racism was the KKK. So if you're not out burning crosses on people's yards, you're not racist. <laughs> that's what they believe in Norway. Yeah. And so it's like, and that's why I think Scandinavia, should I say? Yeah, it's very difficult to have conversations. Just, and I, I feel it's the same thing with misogyny. It's like, 
if you, you, we all in this country, and I'm speaking about this country because it's the only country I've ever lived in. Um, we, we all have internalized racism and internalized misogyny. We just do. Like women have internalized misogyny. Like feminists have internalized. I have internalized misogyny and I consider myself a feminist. You know, right. like I catch myself doing it. It's like, so I have misogyny towards myself. I, you know, and I have it towards other people. So, um, but people aren't really taught that. And so I think there's all this shame around it. It's like, you said that I'm racist or I did something racist. And that means I'm, I'm a KKK person or I'm, you know, whatever they think the misogyny Or I'm bad. Yeah. I'm a bad person. And it's like, and it's like, no, you can be a person who's done something bad and not be a bad person. Um, but people, people can't hear that. You know, it's like they just have this idea that like it's the worst thing in the world that, you know, you've said this to them versus just like you're just you're just giving them information. Right. Yeah. And so why can't they just say, oh, but, you know, and 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 uh, and believe that people know how to narrate their own lives and their own experiences that you don't know better what it's like for another person, you know, like the idea that a white person can say to a black person, like, I know better what it's like to be black than you do is like, that's, that's it's not possible. It's not possible. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that people, that people feel that way. So and that's the same with my girlfriend telling me about me being male chauvinist, like she'll call me out and be like, that was a male chauvinist statement. Or like if my buddies are around and we're talking and she catches wind of what we're saying, she's like, that's very male chauvinistic. And instead of me going, no, it's not. I go, is it? I go, yeah. I mean, why? Because you're a woman. I don't know what it, right. what it, what it looks like. And so my buddies you, at first used to get annoyed And I'm like, no, I'm like, no, she's helping people. They're helping us to grow. Your wife is helping you to grow. Your girlfriend's helping us to grow because we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it is. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, and and also it's like such a freeing thing to be able to say, to to be curious about things, right? Instead of taking offense, just to say, what, you know, what do you mean? Like, what, what did I do? Like, what am I not seeing? Um, And, but that's not, you know, that's not the way most people are wired because we go back to the saying of everybody's wired to dominate each other, you know, and, and be right all the time. Yeah. Um, no, that's not fun. It's no fun. You, right. All the time. You, why do you think that people freak out so much when you say things? I think they freak out because we live in a society of lies. We've been taught to lie to ourselves since we were kids. Every time we self-betrayed ourselves to make our families happy or give them what they want in order to be loved. So we started betraying ourselves at a very young age. So anything that we've been operating from has been to constantly keep betraying ourselves in order to be liked, in order to be loved, in order to be seen, in order to be included. And so anytime I say something outside of their comfort zone of of that energy of it has to look this way in order to be safe because I'm telling the truth. And that's what it was for Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, and, and Mandela and for Rosa Parks and for, you know, you name it, even, you know, John Lennon and you name it. It was about you say the truth in this world it irritates people because they've been living so much in betrayal of themselves. So you're actually opening up the curtains and going, here's what it really looks like outside. And that for people is, is, is jarring and can be uncomfortable. But like I always say, I didn't come to earth to people, please. I came here to people push and I come here. 
<laughs> you know, like I tell people all the time, I'm on this planet to irritate you until you, <laughs> until you grow, you know, and it's that simple. I have, I, I yeah. can, you know, I do know. No, because I'm I'm very similar. I mean, I I I feel like sometimes when people because people have a very outsized reaction to me as well. And like my friends have noticed it. You know, they'll just I have a friend who does online marketing and she like analyzed my Twitter account and she was following. She's like, I've never seen a person like get trolled as hard as you do. And I'm like, I know it doesn't really make sense. It's like because I'm not the biggest, most famous person. You know what I mean? Like that. So it's like it doesn't that's on TV. And so it's like, what is the problem, but um, I, my kind of thing is like I'm not I'm not here to make friends. No, it's not what I'm here for. No, like, I have friends. Yeah, you. Like, I don't can't. go. I don't go on TV to make friends. No, you like, can't. I don't. Yeah, I go on TV to say things that I think are true. I also don't go on TV to upset people. Like I'm not. That's not the point. But it's like if people are getting upset. Okay. I don't, I don't really know what that's, I mean, the, why that's my, that's a part of the evolution. And I I always say, you know, hang out with the trolls because the trolls, (laughs) the trolls keep you interesting because the trolls help create the, 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 the end of duality because human beings have to confront their uncomfortableness with authenticity. And until they do, you know, they're going to continue to stay in duality. And so all these people, like, you know, it was really great lesson for me was when I first came into that family, having the press attack me on every level, ex-relationships, friends, you know, all of that stuff. And what it did for me is it made me look at who I am in my energy and like, why is it affecting me? And if it's affecting me, is it true? Or is it affecting me because I'm hurt and where's the hurt coming from? So it was almost like my girlfriend and I would sit back and read these things and go how fascinating until the point where we don't care anymore. And then getting to that place, like, well, they can say I am, I'm a three headed dragon, or they can say I'm the next, you know, what did someone say? I was the antichrist. Everyone has a different name that they, you know, come up with. And that's just opinion. And I always say, if the opinion isn't supporting the evolution of our species, then why are you giving it? And so, but if people want to talk about me and do say those things, they're entitled to freedom of speech, how I choose to relate to it. Like my friends who are celebrities, how they freak out. I'm like, why are you freaking out? Do you not know who you are? They're like, yes. So then that's all you need to know. Why are you putting, letting other people put stuff on your shelves and then getting upset because it's not what you have on your shelves? That means that you don't have a strong resolve. And when I look at people like Dr. Martin Luther King, when I look at Mandela, like I spent time with Nelson Mandela's autobiographer when I lived in Italy and Tuscany, and I spent time asking all these questions. And when you have such a conviction about creating social change and understanding that people are not going to like you, then you just move forward and continue. And when you get the trolls, I get trolls all the time. I love the trolls. I just don't give them energy. There's no need to, but I let them say what they want to say. And it's okay because I know who I am. And and if I don't, then that's where I need to go look at and spend time with my shadow and be like, what am I really doing? Well, I'm wondering if this is what you're saying or if this is a slightly different thing. Like, cause I feel like is it it's their it's your authenticity that they're reacting to. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. That's what I think too. That's what I thought. It's like because I think people are unconsciously angry that you are living in your authentic self with no apology and they're not. And they yeah. resent it. And yeah. they're and so they're like, How dare you? 
you know, do that when I have to live with this mask on and I have to live this fake life and I can't be who I really want to be because I'm too scared. Yeah. And it's, it's unconscious. It's like, and so people react to it. And I think that, um, and, and I see that happen sometimes with certain celebrities that people really react to. And you're kind of like, God, what is your problem? Like, (laughs) if you don't like that person, that's fine. But like, why are you so obsessed with like hating this person? You know, it's like, who's just seems very happy. You know, like they seem like exactly. they're living their best life and, you know, and it's like makes people really, really angry and people who really love themselves, you know, and who are unapologetic, unapologetic about that, um, you know, and they, and then it makes people, people so angry. So, um, you know, yeah, it's fascinating. I could talk to you all day. I do, too, but I do have to go in. I'm very yeah. grateful because I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and hours. And actually, what would be really great is one day doing like a group talk or like, a, you know, a, a thing where we speak in front of a bunch of people. I would love to do that. Yeah. Count and, me in. Yeah. I'd, so for that's sure. something that we're definitely looking at about having some okay. summits and stuff like that, because we need to bring the diverse information to the, the public in a way that's digestible and and also to woo-woo. And what I love about our conversation is getting out of the woo-woo and getting into like common sense and getting yeah. into understanding like what's really happening. Here's some amazing, real practical tools. We need practicality in the world and not so much woo-woo because people are not going to get it. And when the people right. we want to get it are the ones who are not going to get it if they don't have it given to them in that way. So I totally I'm agree for having you with us today. I'm so happy to see you. So I hope I get to see so, you in real life soon. I would love that. I would definitely want that to happen. Let's do that in the, in the year to come. Yes, absolutely. And happy holidays. Love you happy so much. Holidays. Love you. You're happy amazing. Holidays. Great holiday with all your people. Thank you for everything <laughs> that you've done in your life because it has really um, assisted you to truly serving the community in a big way, oh, especially with so this sweet. new book. So uh, where can everyone get your book at? Um, I pretty much anywhere like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much everywhere. Yay. This is amazing. Yeah. Makes a great, great holiday gift. Great new, great new year gift, uh, to start off, maybe start the new year with grace. Absolutely. <laughs> this should be the year of grace. This could be the, year of grace. Yeah. the year of grace. Let's do it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye, honey. I've created the Healing Temple because people all over the world want and need healing, but don't have the access to those healers or can't afford them. One of the biggest high-ticket items in the world today is remote healing, but some sessions cost hundreds to even thousands of dollars. And for only $10, the Healing Temple is a collective space for people to come together every Friday for 30 minutes. Participants are opening a wellspring of abilities, alleviating stress and brain fog, where the mind becomes more optimized and performance-based, and where you learn to utilize energy to up-level your consciousness. The Healing Temple also helps to break down walls where you begin operating in awareness of wellness, feeling ambitious and inspired like things are really changing in your life. Inside the Healing Temple, you're also stepping into a world where you might experience phenomenons that you thought wasn't possible. 
something as small as a chill or the hair standing on the back of your neck becomes like an opening door. Some members have even said they've experienced increased psychic abilities and that these sensations have intensified with following sessions. I've trained my powers to impact change and I've learned how to get results. Who doesn't want to feel good? The Healing Temple is not only beneficial to you, but also to those around you. Because when you're feeling good, you shine that positive energy onto others. Your partner, your children, co-workers, even your dog or your cat. Everyone around you begins to feel better because you are feeling better. It's a rippling effect that's much needed on this planet. We need the Healing Temple more than ever right now because of all that's happening in the world, the social political structures, calamities, chaos, and feelings of hopelessness and despair. The social climate is on high and this pressure cooker is taking a negative toll on how many of us feel. The Healing Temple offers comfort on a global level because when more people are feeling good, the more kindness, generosity, and realness is generated. For only $10, I invite you to become part of the community that seeks to do good, to feel good, and to make this world a better place. Go to shamandurek.com and click the Healing Temple to join our wellspring of healing, restoration, and elevated consciousness. See you in the temple. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at shamandurek.com to learn more. And remember, tribe, no matter what, stay lit.